0: Hey, how's it going? You're actually about to hear me introduce this section twice, but I just wanted to jump on here quickly and offer a disclaimer. We spoke with Ellie about two and a half months ago, so it was before the conflict that we recently saw between Israel, Hamas, and the different situations inside of Israel that we saw. In addition, we don't speak about Ellie's work that she's doing now to spread awareness of the violent anti Semitism that we've seen as a result of what happened between Israel and Hamas in May. Additionally, we speak about Clubhouse very briefly. Ellie had just started using Clubhouse when we spoke to her. And at this time, she's a force on that app in terms of her voice being incredibly present and loud and amazing for the Jewish community on Clubhouse. So just a couple disclaimers there. And now enjoy this short second introduction. Hello, welcome back to the Two Jew Show. Hope you're having a beautiful day, wherever, or night, wherever you may be. Today's episode features Ellie Cohn. Ellie is an Instagram Jewfluencer. Uh, she's also on Twitter. She's on Clubhouse. She's on TikTok. She actually started on TikTok. It's probably her biggest platform. We spoke about her activity online, fighting anti-Semitism, defending Jewish rights, talking about Zionism also the way that she interacts with anti-semites online usually from a place of uh comedy i would say uh, as a way to combat it and uh, almost uh, make fun of it because it is ridiculous at certain points as we will hear some of her stories or if you know her then you know what she's talking about we really appreciate you listening shout out to our listeners in ireland in the uk our numbers are ever increasing in that area if you are a listener of the two tall jews show and you live in ireland or the uk please send us a dm on instagram at two tall jews or at on this dangerous history we'd love to to hear from you get to know you a little bit uh find out what you like about the show what we can improve that goes for everybody please make sure to review and rate on apple it means a lot and it really helps the show please follow on spotify and reach out on instagram at the same time please check out our website jewishoriginal.com on the website you can find a link to our merch store and you can get some awesome shirts sweaters hats the works and any all of the purchases help the show it help helps the page and it really means a lot when we get those purchases make sure to tag us when you get it and put a picture on instagram and we will share it and now enjoy the show
1: the jewish people are a nation that comes from Judea because people don't know that people i think well, one of the biggest misconceptions that i see is that people don't know that the jewish people are a people either they've been fed misinformation that like the jews originate in these different places around the world in a deliberate attempt to disconnect us from our homeland Or they just look at us like the same way people look at Muslim people or Christian people as like this religion that just spread and people adopted it and now we're just these religious people that believe in a God and eat mosques on Passover.
0: Welcome to the Two Tall Jews Show presented by the On This Day in Jewish History Instagram account and brought to you by Best Shop Productions and now the jewishoriginal.com website. We are two Jews, we happen to be tall, and we are ready to go. So welcome to the show. As always, the show is brought to you by Best Shop Productions. For all your video marketing solutions, go to bestshopproduction.com and get a quote on your next video project today. If this is your first time listening to the show, we are an extension of the On This Day in Jewish History project, where we record daily occurrences or occurrence across the spectrum of Jewish history. You can find us on Instagram and on our website, where you can sign up for email notifications every time we post. On today's show, we are very happy to be on with Ellie Cohn. Ellie is a Jewitter sensation, a Jewish TikTok star with a combined follower count on both of just over 6,000, and she has recently taken the Jewish clubhouse world by storm. Ellie uses humor, wit, wisdom, facts, and intelligence to defend Israel, Jewish rights, and fight anti-Semites online in creative ways. She has become a leader in the online Jewish space, and as far as we know, is still waiting to get her hands on a Jewish space laser of her own, thanks to her efforts in British Voice for Peace. You can find Ellie on Instagram and TikTok at Judea and Ellie, and on Twitter at EllieCone3. Ellie, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome Thank to the show. Thank you
1: guys for that awesome intro. I yeah. really appreciate
0: it. <laughs> of course. So in case our, follow- our listeners don't know you and, and also a little bit for Isaac because he was, you know, he got to know you in this process of, you know, doing research for the interview. Let's get to know each other a little bit and, and ter- tell our listeners a little bit about your background, where you're from.
1: So I was born and mostly raised in Brooklyn, New York. And then I lived in Israel and Ramachan when I was for a bit when I was a teenager. And now I'm back in New York. I came here to finish college, which I did. I studied business law. I was planning on going for law. And then I ended up in this world of Jewish activism. And then I stumbled across my grandfather's diary. And now I'm fighting anti-Semites online and writing a Holocaust book.
0: Cool. That's a good transition so when you're not owning you know the the neo-nazis the islamists or the far left folks you're working on this book uh using your grandfather's diaries so can you share his story with us and, and tell us a little about your goals with the book
1: yeah sure so my grandfather over like the course of around 25 years of his life he wrote out his holocaust story he was hoping to make it into a book and publish it but he lost his memory before he was able to finish that So um, I inherited all his diaries and I've been working on that for the past couple months, almost a year now.
0: Wow.
2: And how has, is your grandfather still living?
1: No, he passed away when I was a teenager.
2: At what point was it always, I guess sort of my question is twofold. One, was it always uh, in the back of your mind that this was going to get Uh, you were going to do everything in your power to get this to print if he couldn't when he was alive? Or was that something that you learned sort of later on in the months or years after his passing? I didn't
1: know about the book when he was alive.
2: Okay. Um,
1: I found out. So it, it was known in my family that he was writing something. So I had heard like some family rumors of like, oh, he's writing a bit about like I thought it was going to be like maybe like 30 page summary when like from what I had heard about this like holocaust story that he had written and then my grandmother passed away, who I've been living with she lived here and who I've been living with during COVID she passed away during COVID so when I was cleaning out her stuff I stumbled across these thousands of pages diaries wow. that were written across so many years and it's very much unlike anything I had in mind that it would be
0: and you're going to write it in like first person or have you
1: Yeah, first person. It's like mainly in first person. He just skips around a lot between like present day, family history from before the war and his war experience. So it's more so like cuz it's also all handwritten and his handwriting's a bit hard to read, so it's typing it all up, putting it into like a format of a story and
2: mm-hmm. yeah. How, and how would you, how is this process for you? Of going through his diaries and continuing his work enhanced and also informed the grandfather that you knew.
1: It's definitely like inspiring knowing how much all Holocaust survivors, in this case, my grandfather went through and they still like picked up, moved on and just looked forward and continued their life. It's definitely like really, really inspiring and empowering.
2: One of the ways you use TikTok is, I think, to empower others based on providing your voice. And so TikTok is sort of mainly your bread and butter. What has the experience been like uh, on a positive note? And what are some of the negative drawbacks from being active on TikTok?
1: So one of the most positive things about TikTok, I think, is that you can really reach like a very broad audience. What I find a lot on Twitter and on Instagram, a lot of times it kind of you're limited to your followers and to the people that your followers that follow your followers so it can end up in like almost an unintentional bit of an echo chamber to some extent whereas on TikTok your video kind of just like goes out into the TikTok abyss and just ends up wherever it ends up so i've definitely been able to reach a lot more non-jews on TikTok that didn't know much about the jewish people jewish history or jewish culture than i would have been able to on other platforms
0: and then the negative
1: the negatives are definitely the anti semites the comments there are crazy it's wild and
2: yeah.
1: yeah you can't prepare for it like they just you just wake up and like you got some people telling you to off yourself and it's just another day on tiktok
0: or today i mean as of this recording today the the latest that i saw was that uh um what is it that matzo ball soup is palestinian
1: Oh gosh. One of my <laughs> friends made this video just, she was just sharing her recipe because she's like mixed Moroccan and Ashki. Yeah. So she made like, she has this like Moroccan version of matzo bolso that she makes with like Moroccan spices. And the comments are all just saying like, you sold Palestinian food, like colonizers doing what <laughs> colonizers do best. Like all this wow. crazy stuff. It's crazy.
0: So I'm going to play devil's advocate because obviously we're on, the part of the group that's using social media to defend Jews and Israel and and to fight the anti-Semites. But do you ever feel like we're in a losing fight? Because every day it's something else. (laughs) Every day it's something else. It's a new thing. It's overwhelming. I don't, sometimes these, some of these people on Instagram that they literally cover every single thing in their personal accounts. I don't know how they do it. Um, it's definitely overwhelming. So do you feel like, um, on the one hand, it's ever more important that we continue what we're doing, or do you ever feel like, okay, I'm done. This is pointless. Like it doesn't matter what I do, you know?
1: Definitely does feel like it's a losing battle, but I would still go with the first one because like every so often I'll get a message from a non just like this whole written out text of how much like I opened their eyes about the Jewish people or how much they learned about Israel and Jewish history because of watching my videos or listening to me talk on Clubhouse. And like these these comments aren't that rare. Like I do, I do get quite a few of them. So it kind of feels like I'm sitting in a sandbox and I'm digging with a spoon and I'm trying to get to the bottom and like somebody's standing over me, like, and like, I'm getting out some sand, you know, like I have my spoon, like but then somebody's like standing over me with a bucket, like pouring more in. That's yeah. kind of what it feels like. Like I'm still there with my spoons. Like I'm still doing something
0: like
2: that what's the craziest anti-jewish comments or piece of content that you've seen online and what was your reaction and did you what was your role in responding or reacting to it or what were you just observing it
1: the craziest thing there, there's a video just today that i saw and it was like the video was just like i've become desensitizer that's a whole other topic but like the video today the guy was like put a finger down don't talk to me edition put a finger down if you're a Jew. And that was the end of the video. And it has like two and a half thousand likes right now.
0: Wow.
1: So I stitched it and I wrote like point of view, Rebecca Gold rejected you in fifth grade and you never got over it. Just like make a joke out of it. Because with people like that, that just don't care, there's not much you can do.
2: I have a sort of question about that. And maybe I'm not as frequent or active on TikTok as other social media platforms. So you would have a better understanding of this than I would. Do you ever feel like this kind of anti Semitism is created, just sort of like anti Semitism as sort of this sort of sexy way of being provocative and like a quest for people who have no lives to remain relevant? I guess you could say that about every single form of prejudice now that I think about it. But do you think that there's some, maybe a better question would be do you think that anti Semitism is like one of the most prevalent forms of prejudice purveying on TikTok? I mean, do you see a lot of, you know, like in my head, I would assume that sort of sort of overt racism, it would be pretty taboo in a way that anti-Semitism is sort of fair game, or maybe that's not the case.
1: I, it's hard for me to say because most of the content that I do deal with is like the Jewish related content or like how I get a lot of the content that I do respond to or whatnot is people tagging me in videos or sending me videos. So I don't really have like a fair assessment of all like the playing field because I'm mostly focused on like Jewish related content, but I wouldn't be surprised if like other minorities were dealing, were dealing with similar forms of bigotry on TikTok, at least to some extent.
0: Yeah. So... You know, obviously, TikTok is where you spend most of your time, but you do, you know, dabble in Instagram stories, Twitter, Clubhouse now. So can we talk about, like, each platform separately, just briefly, uh, what what you like about each one for the purpose of educating about Judaism and Jewish culture in Israel? Like, which one do you think does the best job of getting your message across and and why? Yeah,
1: sure. So which one should we go first?
0: through uh, Instagram and then Twitter clubhouse
1: so Instagram, so I actually started all of this on Instagram, so I had a different Instagram. This was back when I was just using my personal I had like more i had like fifteen hundred followers like I had like a thousand followers just for my own personal life, mm-hmm. and then I gained like another five hundred over like the few weeks that I was doing this like Instagram stories mainly about like Jewish stuff, Israel, whatnot. And then um, I was doing like I was mainly just educating like my friends, my followers, a Mm -hmm. lot of whom were not Jewish just because that's my social life um, about these kinds of topics. And then I it came to a point where I was like, okay, it's time to make my personal Instagram private because I have a lot of friends on there and like people are ready to dox you at any minute. So i made that one private and then i made the other one i suck at instagram graphics that's why i don't have any on my instagram i'm so bad at them i'm not like a graphic designer in any sense i'm not good at them that's why i don't make them
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i do instagram stories basically just to keep because i do have a lot of not jewish followers from tiktok that come to my instagram and follow me so it's mainly to like keep people up to date on what's going on in like the anti-semitism world like various topics that just happened on this day in Jewish history like you guys do or whatever it may be so I do a lot of Instagram stories but it's mainly for my followers that find me from other platforms mainly people that come from TikTok to Instagram and I also use Instagram lots of people could DM me there because on TikTok it's mm-hmm. harder to keep up with DMs and I get send voice notes there but um I just don't really post on Instagram because I suck at Instagram graphics so I really don't have like a good idea of how effective Instagram graphics are because I don't do them because I, mm-hmm. I suck at them Twitter is by far the least favorite platform that I've ever been on. Twitter sucks. I hate it. Aside for like my one day, like rampage against Britain that I really <laughs> had fun with overall. Tell,
0: think- can you share uh, as, in case Isaac doesn't know about it, or maybe our listeners, can you just share so a little bit about that? It
1: started when the BBC had this segment that said, RG is an ethnic minority. Yeah, so but- Blake Clayton had quote tweeted it. And as a joke, he was like, Britain doesn't have a right to exist actually. So I had been thinking about doing something like for a while of like just picking another country and just going at it with all like the crazy, like ridiculous things people say about Israel to like show people how they sound. And then I was like, I just saw it. And I was like, you know what, like, let me just run with this. So I quote tweeted that and I was like, you know what, I think it's actually time that we question Britain's right to exist. And I think <laughs> it does it. And anybody that disagrees with me has to answer for everything that Britain has ever done in its history of being a country. And then I just spent the whole day like tweeting stuff about britain
0: which if there's any country to cancel for that like historically it's britain (laughs) like like they literally ran the world
1: society has progressed past the need for britain Um, (laughs) like one of my favorites was i took a picture of the boston tea party and i wrote long live the intifada that's my favorite <laughs> that's best, like, he in tea, father. And then from Britain, like a Jewish kid, like a Jewish kid in the UK, that's been dealing with this on college campuses. He actually started a page called British Voice for Peace. That I like. Then was working on like some posts with him, and for like two days, we just went on like a rampage against Britain <laughs> and like just posting funny stuff like the icc is investigating britain for crimes against food the in- the italian investigator almost had a heart attack when he saw the canned spaghetti or just like ridiculous stuff like that like yeah. eating beans and sausages for breakfast is actually a war crime like gordon ramsay is a war criminal just like all this yeah. ridiculous stuff
0: that's great wow and then clubhouse yeah
1: yeah So Clubhouse, I'm still getting used to it. I've only been on there for maybe two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So far, it seems decent. One of the things that I like about, there's a few things I like about it, some things I don't like about it. One thing is that um, people can, it's not for likes or for like retweets. Like a lot of times what I see on Twitter, especially, sorry, and on TikTok is like, people will just post super controversial content, especially on TikTok because TikTok like, really negative content or like super controversial or like insightful content will do really well because it's like how that algorithm works. And on Twitter, like a lot of times we'll get likes is just like dunking on somebody or like getting one over somebody else. Whereas clubhouse, like it's just you and your thoughts and your opinions. So you yeah. can't
0: And it's happening live.
1: The, yeah. You can't do anything for the likes or for the validate. Like, yeah, you get followers, but it's mainly people that follow you because they want to hear what you have to say. Not so much like this just instant like, like retweet, like it's not this instant validation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't have all your followers to back you up if you say something stupid.
2: Right. So cool. let's talk a little bit about the, about Israel and the conflict. Uh, we recently had on a Adar rub from Sulha, the great debate. And we spoke about the Federation plan that he's promoted on his show with various people working closely to make it a reality. Have you heard of it? And if so, what do you think about it? And before I say that, just for our listeners to provide a quick background, the Federation plan is essentially a one-state solution. The model similar to Switzerland that would divide the land into cantons: some Jewish majority, some Arab-Palestinian majority, and some mixed. Gaza would be a separate state. Not sure what the deal with Hamas is yet, in this case, uh, yet, but sort of long-term Uh, those areas are more legitimized. So what do you think about the Federation plan as it's currently been outlined?
1: Overall, I do think that like, there's a lot of good things, but I don't know if I agree with it, I'd have to like go through all the different, I've read through it before, but I have to like re-go through everything. But like overall, I do not think that the land should be divided. I do believe in some kind of one state or one civilization society. So there's definitely Mm -hmm. a lot of aspects of the Canton plan that I think could really be implemented well.
0: Yeah. It's just, uh, it's interesting how that's the conversation now. I mean, for the most part, like explaining to people that it has to be a one state And I think Adar is doing a really good job of bringing on Palestinian voices that, I mean, I personally, I never heard their side when it came to like, literally somebody that's just like us living in the diaspora, who, you know, loves the land just as much as we do, doesn't support Hamas, doesn't support the Palestinian Authority. You know, it's like that idea that, unfortunately is taught to us that like every Palestinian is bad won't help solve anything and getting past that is so important. But how do we, in a one state solution, in your opinion, how do we, um, how do we avoid the threat of losing the Jewish majority? And, and, you know, like, is it a threat? Like, can, can we live in a, can we live in a, in an Israel, an Israel federation that is, that the prime minister is Palestinian? Are we safe in that world?
1: So just to touch on one thing you said is that yeah. everyone grew up, like, I. that's not what I learned growing up. I think that's also a myth, but, like, yeah. that's the whole side point. But anyways. No,
0: um, no, if you want to debunk it, yeah, please. No,
1: I mean, I lived in Israel. Like, I knew okay. a lot of people that, like, worked in Israel that were Palestinian. Like, okay. I would always go to, like, Old Yaffa with my friends. And, like, there was a lot. They called themselves 48 Arabs, but, like, uh-huh. they all lived there. And, like, we'd hang out with them on most weekends. Good. So I that's a bit of a different experience that I had. But uh, to touch on the Jewish majority thing, I think it's a super, super valid fear. I think it's it's this idea that we can once again be living under non-Jewish rule. Personally, would I be fine with a non-Jewish prime minister? Yeah, as long as they shared my views and my ideals and I knew what they stood for, I wouldn't care if they were Jewish or not. That's just me personally. But as far as the majority thing, I think a lot of people look at it like they don't understand it. And the people that I've noticed understand it the most are the Kurds. I have a lot of Kurdish friends and like they get this need for being able to live under yourselves because for so long being persecuted under other people. And it's not a specific to Palestinian thing. It's just this idea that if Jews are once again without a place where we're able to control our own destiny, where we're, where we're able to have a place that would prevent a future genocide, that would prevent a future persecution, it is like a danger. And it's a very valid fear that I think a lot of Jews have.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know, I just, like you said, like I guess maybe you had that experience with the with Palestinians, um, but one of the issues that we've seen in the since the 2000s was like the wall goes up, right? Suicide bombings end. Israel is by far a very secure place. But now that interaction with everyday Palestinians is limited to Arab Israelis. So, and then the Palestinians in the West Bank are only seeing um, soldiers as Israelis. So, you know, in this one state world, sorry, to, just to bring it back here real quick, like, let's say that the wall goes down and there's free movement again. Um, how, how can, how, in your opinion, do you think we can restore Israeli uh, confidence that we're not going to, you know, bring it back to the second intifada?
1: Some kind of integration. I think a lot of the animosity is based off of fear. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times what we've seen of each other in like recent times is the worst, the most radical voices are often the loudest on either side. So I think really integration and like, like one thing in my vision is like bringing kids together because I always think kids are some of the kids with like the most open minds they're the ones that are most willing to learn about other Mm -hmm. people and eager to learn about other people so I think that they're definitely I'm not like a politician or an expert (laughs) on policy but um I think that there definitely needs to be some kind of integration between the societies. That's also one of the reasons that I don't believe that a two state solution would be sustainable personally, because I think it's just like putting a band aid on things. Right. When I think the real, like a lot of the roots of the problems are this fear based animosity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, anybody who's actually been there will realize that, like, the land and the people don't fit in two separate states. Like, it's, I, I don't know if anybody has been in the West Bank and or in Judea and Samaria, whatever you want to call it, and you stand on that mountain and you can see Tel Aviv and you can see the airport, and you're like, I don't know if you can fit like <laughs> just a separate state here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've
0: I
2: been- <laughs> So, shifting the conversation a bit to speak about anti-Semitism outside of Israel, the kind that we see ever so rising here in the United States never-ending in Europe and cropping up in other Jewish havens like Australia and Canada. What do you think is the cause for the recent spike? And why are people not taking it seriously? And what what can we do to make our voices heard aside from all of our, our efforts on social media?
1: I think a lot of... I'm assuming we're talking about like this anti-Zionism, not anti-Semitism, when it's really just bigotry hidden behind the guise of anti-Semitism. I think a lot of it is misinformation that's being pushed. It's not a coincidence. A lot of it is leftover. Soviet propaganda a lot of it is things we've been seeing pushed on college campuses for months and months and for me years. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of this this narrative that like Jews are European and they don't actually, they're just converts. And like, do they really have a connection to this land? Do they really belong there? Um, They took their culture from elsewhere. All these different narratives that we see a lot. what else is I gonna say? Oh, um, I think a lot of it is misinformation, but it's not misinformation coming from nowhere. It's misinformation coming from specific sources that I think we could see. Um, I think a lot of it can be fixed with education. I've, a lot of what I do on TikTok is like, I'll have a non-Jewish person reach out to me and ask questions, or I'll be talking with them in the comments. And a lot of times I offer to get on Zoom with people. And I've had so many Zoom calls with people that had a lot of misinformation about Jews and a lot of um, misinformation about the conflict. And um, also on my lives, like I'll have a lot of people ask me questions on my lives and it's just a way, cause I can I can get so much across in a video and these videos do help, but um, to get one person to really, really understand mm-hmm. the Jewish people and our history and who we are as a people, I found that like, sitting down with somebody and like going through our history a bit and like who we are, where we come from, what we've been through, what our aspirations are is really, really helpful.
2: So what you're saying is that you have found strangers on the internet that you've zoomed with and they've been receptive to a dialogue (laughs) Yes. where they're admitting or have been persuaded by you and your intellect that, the sources that were informing their bigoted thoughts was actually misinformation. Yes. So you're essentially assuming with people. Wow. So you're, so I guess the answer, sorry, I, that's like, I, I haven't found that's really like enlightening for me. So you've, so you've had success literally one person at a time with, And I guess you've been pretty, the response has been pretty positive as far as like the conversations have been going.
1: Yeah, like for example, okay, so I'll give you an example, like last, like last month somebody reached out to me and were asking me some questions about Jews and the Jewish people and Jewish culture, and they had a lot of like misunderstandings. And I offered to get on zoom and ask, answer all their questions and a lot of their understanding of Jewish people was from JVP and they thought mm. JVP was the representative of the Jewish people. And they didn't know that JVP is this fringe voice that's an organization mostly propped up by non Jews that have an ulterior motive and I explained to them who JVP actually is and what are actual Jewish organizations that represent the Jewish people to some extent, even if not everyone agrees with everything they say, but like are more Mm -hmm. so representative of the more mainstream Jewish voices. And they just didn't know, like they had no idea. They saw Jewish voice or peace. Oh, this is what Jewish people are. This is Jewish. This is the Jews. And they had no idea that this is like not what Jews believe in for the vast, vast majority. This is not like what their their opinions are, what their perspectives are.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, one
1: example, but there's many. Like, what I've realized is there's really so many people out there that just don't know much about us.
0: For sure. Ignorance Mm -hmm. is definitely a huge part. And so, do you, what do you, yeah?
1: No, I was going to say, like, so when these people that either don't know much about us or have like these preconceived notions of who we are, once they hear misinformation from someone else, it's like, why wouldn't they believe it? Like, they don't hear anything else, they don't hear anything. Posing this message. they don't hear anyone saying, "Oh, these people don't actually originate in the Khazar Mountains in Europe."
2: Oof. What do you charge for the Zoom? Class? I mean, <laughs> I assume. I assume in time. In
1: <laughs> no, nothing.
0: So you, you said you're in school right now. So like this no, is I just finished. you finish.
1: Yeah, I know. I look like I'm still in high school. So <laughs> I finished college. I finished high school.
0: So what do you do for what do you do for work and stuff?
1: I'm a professional.
0: Child. <laughs> child?
1: No, I, I just write.
0: Cool. Nice. nice.
1: I like, I was, I mean, I've worked in the past, but I took off. I'm like moving back to Israel soon in like three months. So I just figured I just spent a couple weeks writing.
2: Wow. So a lot of what you've talked about during your time with us today has to do with different kinds of messaging through different mediums. So if you had a billboard... Uh, where you could broadcast any message to millions, let's say billions of people, what would it say and why?
1: The Jewish people are a nation that comes from Judea. Because people don't know that. People, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I see is that people don't know that the Jewish people are a people. Either they've been fed misinformation that like, the Jews originate in these different places around the world in a deliberate attempt to disconnect us from our homeland. Or they just look at us like the same way people look at Muslim people or Christian people as like this religion that just spread and people adopted it. And now we're just these religious people that believe in a God and eat mosque on Passover.
0: Yeah, I think like you mentioned it, it's a lot of what we see nowadays in terms of anti-Semitism and Jewish hatred it comes from leftover uh, Soviet propaganda. And I think that that has to do a lot with it because when we've done our research for the on this day in Jewish history, and when we when we see like things that from the 1700s or the 1800s, 1600s, when they talk about Jews, they refer to Jews as Hebrews, Israelites, children of Abraham. Like very, like very, you don't really see them talk about us as Jews, and or and so and and so there was there wasn't even a question. Before the 1900s, that we had a connection to that land, regardless of where we were. And then, one of the, one of the unfortunate successes, uh, successful aspects of anti Zionism from the Soviets was to separate us from that and to say, like, no, you're just a religion.
2: But,
1: well, I study the Holocaust, 1930s in Germany, yeah. the sign said, go back to Palestine.
0: Right. And the Palestine um, go flag back to Germany, was Germany,
1: like the comments I get.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, where should we go now? Let's go to the moon. Or maybe 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 Elon will, will save some <laughs> space for us in Mars. <laughs> so um talking about the word anti-Semitism. So we've had this conversation with a lot of our guests, and uh we're we're probably gonna accumulate everything into like a clip at the end. But we the word anti-Semitism, as you probably know, is anti-Semitic. <laughs> it was invented by a Jewish hater uh wilhelm marr who was part of the racial science uh world where they were trying to desensitize the word Judenhas, jewish hatred so clearly the word is an issue because you see people saying i'm not an anti-semite because i'm a semite or um you know they spell it incorrectly it it should be one word lowercase and you know these these sorts of conversations are, are so ridiculous that we have to have when we should have a word that's just clear and says you hate Jews. So should we, is it, is it a lost battle to sort of try to change that word into Judeophobia or anti-Jewish racism or uh, something else, something well, that.
1: Judeophobia is automatically a no-go. It's not a fear of Jews. It doesn't make sense.
0: Okay. So cut it.
1: Yeah. That one, in my opinion, cut out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, I think this is just my opinion. Um, The people, so the whole I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm a Semite." it's ridiculous. It's people trying to avoid their bigotry with linguistics and with like breaking down the language. There is a word anti-Arab, if it applies, use it, but I think the people that try so hard to avoid acknowledging anti-Semitism that they like break it down into a matter of linguistics. If it's not the word, they're going to defend themselves with something else. That's my opinion. I think people tend to know the word anti-Semite, whether, I mean, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. Like I get in Europe. We were the Semitic people that were there. Like that's who the Semitic people were in Europe. The word doesn't make sense, but I think it, it just is what it is, in my opinion. Yeah. Like people already know for the most part that antisemitism
0: relates to Jews I remember when I was younger I was like that's what that means like I was just like I'm not a like I don't feel like I'm a semite. like I've never been referred to as a semite. what is a semi and I'm just like you know I, as I've grown older I understand it obviously but um it's just funny how the term created to to make to like it, it was not created with good intentions, and now that that's how.
1: Also, like one of these things, like asparagus doesn't have anything to do with the name Gus. Like butter <laughs> isn't about butter. Like anti-Semitism, like it's a new word. Not about the Sem- Semitic people, which usually it's not even nobody calls people Semites, like it's used to refer yeah. to languages. Like, if we're gonna actually like, break down the word, like it really refers to the Semitic languages. This whole, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a Semite thing, it's like there's no other context when people would call themselves a Semite except for trying to get out of anti Semitism. But I've seen right,
2: that. and that so, would be anti Semitic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the uh-huh. whole, um, I can't be anti Semitic, I'm a Semite, yes,
0: yeah, cool, so. We're gonna do some segments now. This one we call rapid fire. We're gonna ask you some quick questions. It's uh, you know, one words, one word answers, or you could go a little bit more if you want. What's your favorite destination in Israel?
1: Moshab Modian before it burned down.
0: Before it burned down.
1: Yeah, burned down like a year and a half ago. That is, that, is that
0: place. the one that's between uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, or that's no, It's like
1: it's like near Modiin. It's like the Kfar. Oh, okay. My cousins lived there before it burned down. That was like my oh, favorite place in Israel. So sad.
2: What's your least favorite destination in Israel?
1: Eilat is overrated. I don't know if it's my least favorite, but I think Eilat is super overrated.
0: It is. It is. It is. My my answer for this is uh <clears throat> the 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 central bus station in southern Tel Aviv. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> um, and uh, what's a pro tip for anyone that's visiting Israel well for the first time, not on a program by themselves? What would you what would you tell them to keep in mind?
1: Learn how to use the buses. They're really not especially in like I live near Tel Aviv, I live near Rockan, like they're really not that difficult.
0: Agreed. Download uh, what's the app? Move
1: yeah. it? Oh, that's movie. No. I just learned the buses. Also, get though. Get is like the the, the, Uber. Bus, the Uber. yeah.
0: Cool. So um, we, I guess we have some time. We could do this. Uh, we could do this segment. We're calling it "Too Much Juice" in these mics. You want to bring a controversial opinion? Uh, you want to go first?
1: I just share a controversial opinion.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and why? <laughs> and I guess we could discuss it.
1: Like, can I get like a topic or I, I the topic? anything?
0: You can create the topic. You can provide. You can provide the principle and the example. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have to do this if if you didn't if you don't uh, if you don't feel comfortable. I'm just like trying you, to think of if something. You want to prepare for something?
1: Controversial
0: opinion. So, so for example, I don't know if this is controversial, but it shouldn't be. I don't think Judaism is sexist towards women. In fact, uh, I think. What? I
1: agree. What? Yeah. I agree. And that grew up in the Orthodox community, and I don't think so.
0: Okay, so can you can you talk a little about your experience?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a really good experience. My family's Orthodox. Like, my mom wears the shades, all like nude stockings, all of that. <sighs> um, I grew up. I went to like a pretty Orthodox school. Um, late elementary, I was like, mm, I'm not as religious as this. My mom's side is like pretty secular for the most part. Like it mm-hmm. ranges from family to family, but like, like I don't really have much family on my dad's side because he came, he like grew up in a DP camp and escaped from Hungary. That's a whole other story. So, um, on my mom's side, where most of my family is, they're pretty secular. So, um, I was like, wait, they're all like a bit less religious than me. I'm not this religious, so I switched to a different school, and then I became more secular. And then I went to Israel, um, when I was in my like mid late teens. And then I was secular there, and then I came back, and I'm still pretty secular. I've become a bit more religious, like, the past year, but still pretty secular.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just... It's just, from what I've seen, the people that say that Judaism is sexist towards women are usually people that are outside of that
1: yeah, environment. Yeah, Like people look at religious women. Like, my sister... Okay, I'm, like, not that religious. Like, I go to clubs, like, I drive a motorcycle, like, I do my thing. If my sister wanted to live the same life as me, like, she could, but instead she's, like, she, she, like, is engaged and super religious, and, like, that's what she wants to do. So with this idea that, like, we can't make our own choices, like, I made my own choices. I mean, I'm not going to speak for everyone in the entire Orthodox community, because I don't know, like, every single family, and, like, I'm not in the Hasidic community. I lived there for a little bit, but, like, I'm not a part of, like, the Hasidic community, so it's separate. But, like, Mm -hmm. overall, like, most of the people that, like, everyone that I know, like, they could make their own choices. Like, a lot of my friends in the Orthodox community have siblings that are more like me, whereas they're more religious or, like if my sister wanted to do what I do, she could. Nobody's stopping her. She just made her own choices. I think there's a lot of these ideas that, like, women in the Orthodox community can't make choices for ourselves, which is wrong. I think also because, like, in the Torah, and I'm not, like, an Arab and I'm not an expert, but, like, it does differentiate between halachot for men and halachot for women. And I think that a lot of times people, like, instead of understanding that, like, just because we're different, it doesn't mean we're not equal. It's, like, yeah like this idea like okay so like this i mean like i know reform conservatives do different things whatever not going to judge but like in my mind like okay i can't be rabbi like i don't care just make me less of a person it's just different like we just have different roles to play and doesn't mean i'm not equal to a man it's just differences. that's just my And if if
0: anything men have are expected to do more because according to our tradition and like the philosophy is that like they are more inclined to be further away from god and so and women are born fundamentally closer to god you can take that at face value but um that's why men have more commandments for positive positive mitzvah so it's like you have to pray you have i've to...
1: experienced the most misogyny and sexism from like anti-semites and like anti-zionists i could tell you like I thankfully haven't experienced any from like within the Orthodox community or really the Jewish community overall, personally. But I've mm-hmm. experienced plenty from people online.
0: Wow. So okay. yeah,
1: I I'd be a lot more concerned about the the like misogyny and anti, whatever sexism or whatever mm. it is from anti semites than the absolute none that I've experienced in my own community.
0: Right.
2: That's just
1: my opinion. So, yeah, I don't really. I mean, to me, that's not a very controversial take because I, I really agree.
0: Yeah, in some circles it is. Maybe that some of our sure. listeners will think. What? Isaac, any thoughts?
2: Sure. Um, wait, thoughts on yours or pro- providing one of my own? Both. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I love hearing about these questions and never providing my own opinion. Not because my opinion isn't value or, or worthy, but I... Don't like providing opinions on things I don't, I don't know a lot about. So I think that, I mean, I would probably agree with you, but I think that I need to like do more research in general, just because I'm, I'm not in that world. Sure. You know what I mean? Here's my controversial opinion. And I'm gonna be <laughs> speaking around in a circle and you guys might be picking up what I'm putting down. I don't know, here it goes. If you have – if an allegation arises and it's thoroughly investigated and they find no evidence of criminal wrongdoing and 30 years later you make a a documentary and it's sponsored by HBO and the New York Times is writing – page-long summaries of every single part and that documentary doesn't provide or illuminate any new evidence than what we knew 30 years ago it has nothing to do with the truth and it has everything to do with power and ego re woody allen yes
1: that is like you're talking about someone very specific like i'm missing because i don't really watch tv
0: (laughs) it's uh it's woody allen isaac Isaac is Woody Allen's number one yeah. public and defender. I, and I <laughs> have learned, we
2: don't have to hash this out right now, I've learned a lot about myself with regard to like there are certain issues or certain hills that have issues of which I will die on. And this is this is one of them. And also just in general, like, because I'm friends and close and care about a lot of people who disagree with this um or take a different stand so I've sort of learned how to have respectful opinions and try to communicate why I think they're wrong of course they always throw the label of bias at me and my perhaps I'll end this comment here I wouldn't say I'm so much biased as I am my interest in Alan has motivated me to do as much research as possible which informs the opinion that I currently hold so that's like I think about that every day um but yeah
0: Yeah. He's wanted to get that off his chest, so it's Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This yeah, this is this is really therapy. This is exposure therapy. (laughs) Um, yeah.
1: All right, I have an opinion. Yeah. Zionists have been really successful at encouraging Jews to make Aliyah. (laughs) Yeah. That's my take. I don't know if it's controversial.
0: It is for some people that feel like I don't know, Isaac, like you you know, you don't see yourself living in Israel you know no. like for you it's like i shouldn't i shouldn't be chased out of like the place i love because of, you know it's kind of controversial I, for you I agree. yeah
2: i mean it's controversial in the sense that i with you know with all due respect to people who believe this i'm not a jew that believes i have only one home and that's judea that's and funny. i'm i you know, forever a tourist or sort of living a guest, living somewhere a else, and that comment or belief suggests that just for me, I think it has a lot more to do with identity and where do we want and where should we be integrating to spread Jewish values and Judaism in general, and so I think. And granted, there are a whole host of reasons to, to live in a whole host of places. And obviously, Israel and New York, notwithstanding. So no, but that is correct. It's a place that I can identify with, but not see myself living in but right I now.
1: I think that like in my ideal world, Jews would have like Israel to go to as our homeland. But we'd be able to live safely wherever we wanted if we choose to live in another country.
2: Yeah, I mean, if they improve their deli food, maybe. But
1: like, <laughs> Have you not had suduch? No. No wonder you don't like Israel. So you haven't had yet. Okay. <laughs> no, you have to. Okay, next time you go, you have to have sudu. It's like a panini kind of thing, but um, like cold. That's food. already too
0: Israeli for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All
2: right.
1: Next, next time you go, try The
0: bagels, the bagels in Israel are too flat and wide for us. Right,
1: the bagels there.
0: They're not bagels.
1: There's not good bagels yeah it's fine. like whatever i'll live with other things so, <laughs>
0: yeah but sure. that would be interesting like if like a, like a classic jewish new york deli in israel i feel like that would do really well yeah i've
1: actually been thinking like that's always i'm like why isn't there like a yeah. really bagel store? like imagine like Banu huda street just like yeah it's like really good new, new york,
0: york style yeah the whole yeah like not kosher, the whole thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it has to be Reuben and
0: Reuben and cheese. <laughs> well, no, that's how. It...
1: <laughs> not a kosher
2: deli. No, I know. Okay. But that we
0: actually we did a we did a post about that back in yeah. the fall of like the history of the New York deli and how it started as a kosher thing. It started because I don't know, Isaac, if you want to.
2: No, well, that's the thing. I mean, it uh, without getting too much into detail, it's it sort of. It started off as kosher and then it segued into kosher style. And now it's only like kosher culturally. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not.
0: Although the Jewish Museum is kosher.
2: Yeah, the Jewish Museum is kosher. And of course, there are a whole host of places you can get kosher meat. And you can, and you can granted, you can still go to Ben's. Shout out to Ben's. Uh, in Queens. Proud sponsor and, of the two <laughs> Right. Hopefully one day. And. Yeah, and get a g- great, you know, kosher pastrami on rye. But no, Katz's hasn't been kosher for 20 years. I don't even, I don't That's know if Second like a
1: deli than like just a bakery, like a bakery. Right. Like, okay, you yeah. need to go to like a good, like yeah. Jewish bakery where they have like, tufkanio, like right. rugelach, bach, yeah, no,
2: bach, and there, no, and, and you can, and you they can have find like,
1: bagels there. Yeah. And uh, the best kind of bagel is lox with scallion cream, cream cheese. And I'll fight people on this.
0: There's a controversy. You're like, fine,
1: whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good. I mean, I'm a fan. <laughs> a <controversy>. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking a lot about food, um, I don't know if you have like a, a snack or a Jewish food nearby there, but we have this other segment called Bubby's Delight where we bring in a food usually made by Bubby and we rate it live on the show. I'll go first. I have some Shabbat mousse here uh, made by not my Bubby, but my mom. And it is, I already know it's a 10, but I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to eat it live for, for the people. Mm. It's an 11. <laughs> just any, any dessert made by a Jewish mom, I think is yeah. it's, it's, just a story. One second, before you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. a story on the word moose. So I'm from Venezuela and uh, my dad, when he grew up, he, he lived his, like, his whole life. Are
1: from Venezuela? Yeah. Did you come here as a teenager?
0: No, I was like seven.
1: A lot of my friends like left when they were
0: teenagers. Anyways, that... yeah, my my parents were a little early on it. But when my dad was growing up, he was involved in like the when he was in high school, he was involved in like the Israel club and stuff. It was called and it was called Moose. Like the the it was like it was a, it was an acronym. So uh, it's a funny story. One of his one of his uh, meetings, the the president gets up and like it's a big crowded room. All, all the Jewish students are in there, and he yells, "What is Moose?" And my dad raises his hand, and he's like, chocolate, eggs, and sugar. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of the room. <laughs> he's like, to this day, the guy's mad at him for, like, disrespecting, like, the integrity of the group. It was like, uh, no say, sé, it was like a uh, Movimiento Cultural sionista It was like, a, it was just an acronym, like a, the Movement of the Cultural Zionists or something. So just a funny little tidbit. <laughs> Isaac?
2: Uh yeah, and I have, raspberries coated in dark chocolate. So very Jewish. Very Jewish <laughs> or it's definitely made by a machine, probably. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's you know you always know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, my Bubby is non-GMO,
0: so I have to. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> in the beginning, when we started this segment, it was before we had guests on. <laughs> And Isaac literally had the same thing every week. Yeah. He's the, the, the Twizzlers or something. From, yeah, like, from and Dardis,
2: which is the Jewish class. There you go.
0: Um, yeah. So famous for their dried fruit and licorice. But any day yeah. one listeners will get it. Um, okay. Well. Oh, well, I have, yeah.
2: a, I have another question. Um, if you get back to my favorite topic, the Holocaust. What um do you have? I guess you moving back to Israel has informed your timetable with this book?
1: Kind of. I mean, I'm just kind of winging it either way. So I'm planning on going for three months, then coming back here for three months and then like fully moving there. So I'm going to be there like June, July, August. That's the plan. Got it. The end of May, because my sister's getting married in the beginning of May. So I have to be here. Wow. And then I have my cousin's parents mitzvah there in June. So I have to be there. So I'm planning on going like June, July, August, maybe September coming back for like two or three months finishing up like closing up here and then moving there fully but um I'm not really in a rush I guess like I'm just kind of taking my time with that I'm like 400 pages in now out of like thousands wow. so and then I have to go through it edit it that's going to be like the real big challenge part
2: have you transcribed all of his diaries
1: no not yet I'm. that's what I'm 400 pages in
2: on got it got it got it Okay.
1: It takes time. It also takes does take like I'm not gonna lie. It takes an emotional toll, like going through, because it's like living through it through him, and it's like every day, like I meet these people that like I never met, and like learn about his neighbors and his friends and like his cousins that, and then like they die, like on the next page, or like a have few you ever later, like how they died.
0: Have you ever read Mouse?
1: I know of it. I don't. I haven't like read through the book. But, like I'm very familiar with it
0: i'm not saying it's the same thing because it's a little different but it's similar in the sense where it's a it's from the perspective of the son of the survivor and he jumps back and forth it's a comic book too but he jumps back and forth um in his father's story first person and then him actually like interviewing his father as a part of the narrative so that's why i asked like what's the format that you're doing because i'm curious if like it was just going to be straight transcript yeah no i'm just
1: gonna say i'm trying to do it in first person because that's mm-hmm. what you wanted to do it in. So I'm hoping right. you keep it that way.
0: Cool. Well we wish you the best of luck.
2: And we would love to have you on in, in like six months to track your progress
0: and promote catch it. up. It. i love yeah, it. whenever it's ready, promote it.
1: All right. When I finish the the book, when I'm mm-hmm. so I'm working on finishing the transcript now, but when I'm done with that and have it right. ready on the way to publishers, I'd love to.
0: Thank you so much for coming on, Ellie. Until next time.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me. This is great.